Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to worship. Not sure how familiar you are with Old Testament prophets, but they had a habit of um, doing strange things to share with the people what they thought God was saying, like building models of cities and lying by them for days on end. So as we're thinking about the Olympics, about disability, justice and inclusion, it kind of seemed appropriate to put my running gear on, even though that's probably about as far as I can run. This morning's service will be uh, a little different from our usual services. There is no long sermon, though there will be a reflection. And um, you will be invited to do things at various points. We are looking at things around what it might be like to be a disabled person, a person with disability, to use a better term, in a church community And so we will be using some British Sign Language as part of that. And um, we're going to start off in the call to worship. And there's a lot of times it says, praise the Lord. And the sign for praise is a thumbs up. And the Lord is two L signs pointing to the ceiling. I'm just going to let the last person come in because it seems a bit unfair. They're going to have an awfully long wait. So when I say praise the Lord, I'd like you to do the sign. It doesn't matter if you're slightly behind me. We will get there. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise God in the heights above. Praise the Lord, all God's angels. Praise God, all the heavenly hosts. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise God, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Praise the Lord from the earth. Praise God on land and in all ocean depths. Praise the Lord, all God's people. Praise God, people with different abilities. Praise God with sign singing. Praise God with brailed praises. Praise God with wheelchair dancing. Praise God in silence. Praise God in jerky movements. Praise God with scarred hands. Praise God with broken bodies. Praise God just as you are. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And as we continue in prayer, we're going to learn some more signs. Um, Most of you are right-handed, so some of these you'll do with your right hand. I'm left-handed, so I intuitively do them with my left hand. Thank you. Thank you. Father... God, thank you, Jesus, holes in the hand, thank you, holy, so you do like a a good thumb and make a circle with it, which my wrists don't like, but never mind, spirit, you just kind of, so at different points in the prayer we'll be saying thank you, Father God, or thank you, Jesus, or thank you, Holy Spirit, and at the end, Amen. 
Not meant to be too banged, but on there. So let us pray. For the planet that we call home, for trees, plants and flowers, for animals, birds and fish, for sun, moon and stars, thank you, Father God. For the people who share our lives, for people who work in shops and offices, for the people who produce our food, for teachers, childminders and nursery nurses, thank you, Father God. For the people in our church, for the choir and musicians, for the Sunday school leaders, for those who arrange flowers, make drinks, bake cakes and set out the chairs, thank you, Father God. For the stories that you told us, the way of life you showed us, the amazing things you did, for the work of redemption and salvation through the cross, thank you, Jesus. For overcoming death and sin, for restoring us to God, for teaching us to live in love, for the promises of hope for now and all eternity, thank you, Jesus. For the way you have made each one of us, for the gifts you have given us, for your presence within us, for the new understanding and insight you bring us, thank you, Holy Spirit. For all that is good, lovely and life-giving, for all that brings us joy and delight, for all your endless love for us. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. But we're going to look at the second of the videos um, produced for us for today. And this one is called Motivation. I grew up in Africa. I'm originally from Kenya. When you're growing up in such an, an, an environment or in a community like that, they don't understand disability and uh, they want to find something that they can link to their disability. And in my case, as some people said, I was bewitched, you know? And some people said, um, oh, God is punishing my family. It was a curse from God. I started to question, you know, the love of God for me. I did not understand whether God really loved me just the way I was with my disability. I resented God. I, I wasn't happy with who I was. I sort of, a, my self-esteem was really low because I knew I was not a full person. You know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't a proper human being before the eyes of men. And therefore, I, don't, I did not think that God valued me just the way I was. My prayer for other disabled people in other countries is that they would just get the same opportunities as we have in this country, that they would be able to play sport, they'd be able to have access to wonderful facilities and training like we do, and that just the people around them would just recognise the potential that is within them. Other countries, other cultures, if you're disabled, 
there's not much you're going to be able to do. You, you, you won't get a job, you won't be able to train in a sport, uh, you are unlikely to have normal relationships with people. So the, the attitudes in this society are so much better than they are in other countries, generally speaking. The issue that I see is, is more acceptance. We do have a place within the church community. I think my faith has grown a lot, you know, as I, you know, as I've gotten to understand what the, how the Lord looks at me, and I believe God can still use me in the way that I am to glorify His name. So He can choose to heal me, or He can choose not to heal me for His own glory. I I look at competing at this level as an ability to help others. Um, in differing situations, I teach a lot, um, and I try and use this to help to inspire younger, younger people. I do believe very passionately that uh, God has given me a talent in this sport, and I think it's uh, really worth investing in it. I feel that it's a real form of worship to him and, um, and gives glory to God. Our Bible readings this morning come from the Gospel according to Luke. The first is from chapter 4, reading from verse 14. Jesus begins his work in Galilee. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Holy Spirit was with him. The news about him spread throughout that territory. He taught in all the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Then Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath he went, as usual, to the synagogue. He stood up to read the scriptures and was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and announce that the time has come when the Lord will save his people. Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the people in the synagogue had their eyes fixed on him as he said to them, This passage of scripture has come true today as you heard it being read. The second reading is from the 14th chapter of Luke's Gospel, and again we start at verse 15. The parable of of the great feast. Then one of the men sitting at table heard this. He said to Jesus, How happy are those who sit down at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus said to him, There was once a man who was giving a great feast to which he invited many people. When it was time for the feast, he sent his servant to tell his guests, Come, everything is ready. But they all began, one after another, to make excuses. The first one said, told the servant, 
I have bought a field and must go and look at it. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have bought five pairs of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have just got married and for that reason I cannot come. The servant went back and told all this to his master. The master was furious and said to his servant, Hurry out to the streets and alleys of the town and bring back the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Soon the servant said, Your order has been carried out, sir, but there is room for more. So the master said to the servant, Go out to the country roads and lanes and make people come in so that my house will be full. I tell you that none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Amen. Our reflecting today starts with that very familiar story of Jesus' first recorded address in a synagogue right at the start of his ministry. He read the beautiful words from the prophet Isaiah. He sat down and he said, Today, this has been fulfilled. Now, the thing is that we, like those original hearers, know those words of Isaiah so well that I suspect we don't actually notice what they say. And so we risk missing out on the fact that people with disabilities, their affirmation, their liberation and their inclusion are right at the heart of Jesus' mission. Right at the start of his ministry, he said, these people matter. The gospel stories bring us lots of encounters that Jesus had with people with disabilities. And it is true that these do include several accounts of physical cure. Blind people who are made to see. Lame people who walk. A woman whose hemorrhage that had lasted 12 years ceases. Lepers whose skin recovers and so on. But we need to be very careful how we read those stories so that we don't confuse the particular, a physical cure for a specific person in a specific place, with the general, about welcome, about liberation, about affirmation. We have to be careful that we don't confuse the healing with the message that Jesus taught. Whenever one of these miracles occurs, Jesus also has something to say about our attitudes to sin, about our attitudes to people, about faith. If we had the time to sit down and read the Bible from front to back, we would recall that God doesn't always cure people's physical or mental conditions. Remember Jacob? Do my Jacob an impression? Jacob walked with a limp for most of his life because after his account at Peniel, he was left with an injured hip. There was Mephibosheth that we heard about fairly recently who was dropped by his nurse as a child and was therefore unable to walk. It's pretty likely that Elijah and Jeremiah suffered from depression 
and had suicidal thoughts. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul. Three times, says the Apostle Paul, I prayed that this infirmity be removed from me, this affliction. But God said no. Now, we can debate till the cows come home what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. But the fact was that God didn't take it away from him. It is not always God's will to make people what the world defines as normal. People do sometimes experience miraculous healing, whatever that means, but it is not the norm. Jesus was quite clear that he had come to bring freedom and justice and hope for the people right on the margins of societies. And this thread goes all the way through his teaching, and it's what he expected of his followers too. The bit we heard from Luke 14 mixes stories about banquets with some plain speech teaching by Jesus to his would-be followers. In the banquet story, once the invited guests have declined their invitations, the servant is set out not merely to invite the people with disabilities, say, you know, that to come, but actually to compel them to come to the banquet. Bring these people in just as they are, with their disfigurements, with their limited mobility, with their impaired speech or sightless eyes. Bring them in to enjoy the finest food the best wine. But it's not just the story, you see, because when Jesus talks to his hearers, he says, and when you have a party, a banquet, a dinner, a lunch, you should be inviting these people too. The person who dribbles, the person who needs to have their food cut up for them, the person who needs to be spoon-fed, the person who can't walk, the person who can't hear, the person with a nasty skin condition or a facial disfigurement. If Jesus is that plain in his teaching, what does it mean for the church in general and for us in particular? I think there are two directions worth us thinking about. Firstly, to think about our own context. We live in a very wealthy Western nation where the rights of people with disabilities are enshrined in law or have been for a number of years now. There's a very brief summary of some of that on one of the A5 sheets I gave you. I appreciate it's not particularly friendly because it's fairly small print, um, but there's a summary of some of the disability law and equality law for the UK there. If you just take away and look at it. We might well complain about the provision of support for people with disability in our country, and I think that is often justified. But compared with much of the world, we are incredibly fortunate indeed. But you see, I think one of the dangers in the church is we are led by the state on this. And rather than thinking about what the state does and criticising what the state does, I think we should be listening to what Jesus says and asking how we measure up to what he said. 
The other piece of paper you got this morning, also printed at A5, the original was A4, but I reduced it to save paper, um, is an inclusion checklist for churches drawn up by an organisation called Through the Roof. And if you take a look at a moment to look at it, assuming the print is big enough after I've shrunk it, um, I wonder how you think we measure up. If you look at that list just for a moment, what, apart from printing things too small, are the things that we do well? And what are the areas where we could do better? I'm not asking you to say that, but if you just look down that list... What are we getting right? And what have we yet to get a grip on? I wonder if we know who the people are in our church community who live with some degree of disability. Some people's disabilities are more visible than others. Some are totally hidden from us. And do people silently endure the challenges and difficulties of a Sunday? Or do they stay away? And how do we find the right balance between covering all possibilities, just in case, or doing nothing? Where's the balance? One of the churches I worked with in Manchester had the whole of Baptist praise and worship brailed and kept it on a shelf in a cupboard, just in case. A whole shelf of boxes of Braille that was never, ever used. Well-intentioned, but was it right? On the other hand, in my last church, I had two people who were registered blind. Uh, They both had very poor vision, caused by ageing effects, uh, macular degeneration and such like. And I used to print out every week the hymns in about a 24-point font for them because that was just about what they could cope with. How do we find that balance between doing everything just in case and not doing enough? And actually, what about the people who are here who have disabilities, and I'm probably not aware of them, Whose needs we miss? When I looked through that checklist, I actually thought, well, we're not doing too badly. But there is room for improvement. We shouldn't beat ourselves up too much. Don't worry about that. But we should all do some work towards those shortfalls. The truth is, it's that far more important to most people with a disability is not the fact that we've got Braille hymn books or perfect level access. It's how we are as people. It costs us nothing to treat other people as we would like to be treated or to be aware of the little things that make a difference. One of the things that costs us absolutely nothing is to be aware of the language we use and the throwaway comments we make. When I was in Hungary the other week, um, I went to a very lovely thermal spa. And this water is supposed to have healing properties. And there was an area for people with disabilities. And I'm quite sure the Hungarian was 
good in what it said. But the translation into English, well, it made me smile and it made me sad, really, because it said handy, H-A-N-D-Y, caped, C-A-P-E-D, people. So I think that was where Superman went, actually. Handicapped might have been an okay word in the past. We do not use that word nowadays. And I tripped over my feet this morning. I talked about disabled people rather than people with disabilities. Making the effort to get the words right is important. We won't always get it right, but making an effort matters. One of the things that we do at Hillhead, which visitors often comment on, um, but we've forgotten because we're so used to it, is when we are announcing hymns, we invite people, if they're able or if they can, to stand. We don't just say, right, let's all stand, which an awful lot of churches do, because we try to be aware of other people's needs. Same as when we're doing interactive prayer activities. I will usually say, write, draw, or symbolize the prayers for two reasons. Firstly, those prayers might be very private and you don't want other people to read what you've written. But secondly, you might not be able to write. There are people who can't write, but they can draw or symbolize. On the whole, I try to avoid using words like blindness or deafness in talking about people's attitudes because they are so often used pejoratively and therefore demeaning of people with visual or hearing impairment. So I'm left wondering what it is I get wrong because I'm sure I do sometimes say something that is demeaning or exclusive. And I'm sure we all do. So there has to be a challenge for all of us to make our church as as inclusive as we can for people with disabilities. To always offer the very best that we can, not just say, well, well, that'll do. We've got a big print Bible, that's all right, we've got one of those. We've got a door you can come through, that's all right. Those are good, but the attitude we have is more important. So are we after that quick fix or that amazing banquet that Jesus describes. Can you imagine what that scene might look like in our time, in our culture? These are some of the things I thought of this week. Wheelchair dancing. Assistance dogs curled up under the chairs. Sign singing. Voice simulators. Mood cards. A table groaning under the diversity of food suitable for people with allergies or special dietary needs. A calm space for those who need it. And smiles and laughter everywhere. Can the church prefigure such a vision? Can we welcome people as they are, as God has made them? Trusting that God's grace and love is at work in them. As they are. Can we learn from people who are differently abled image bearers of the living God? And will we respond to the commands of Jesus about inclusion and justice? In the UK, we are fortunate. There are rights protected in legislation. But that's not true everywhere. 
And so we're just going to watch a short video about the situation in Haiti. On the 12th of January 2010, the world's eyes fell on Haiti when one of humanity's worst disasters took place, a devastating earthquake just west of the country's capital, Port-au-Prince. Yet, as the immediate trauma ended, the international community's attention moved on. Forgotten, though, has been the urgent need for long-term rehabilitation for the most seriously injured victims, like those with spinal cord injuries, people like Leon. Pendant tremblement de terre, moi-même tant dans Kaila. Cependant moi Kaila soufflé, la balancé, moi t'as, il commence à fendre, il fait plus un coup il sorti. C'est pendant mon coup il sorti, un peu me tomber, pendant me tomber, et puis là même moso, il gonfle, bloc, qui tombe sous sous centime. Là où vous me retirez moi, vous ne pas bien connaissance. In a country where one in ten people have a disability, the critical needs for people like Leon only re-emphasise the urgent need for disability care in Haiti to be transformed. The discrimination towards people with disabilities can also be heartbreaking, with many individuals isolated at home and never integrated into the community. Verbal abuse is still very common in Haiti. Amputees like Barto are often called names and excluded from the community. Haiti people with disabilities are called many names. I've had too many nicknames, I can't remember them all. People in Haiti didn't really understand people with disabilities. So when the children are born with disabilities, they hide them somewhere and they don't go out with them to go to church, to go to school. And it was like a shame for the parents, for the relatives of those children. But with uh, HH and BMS, this is a, a difference. It is, there is a transformation and a big change. Now we can socialize the children and we can appreciate them. We can give them more care, more love. And it is a big blessing for those children among the communities and in the midst of the parents. Sport can hugely benefit the rehabilitation process. It doesn't only exercise the limbs, but it can also increase the motivation, skills and self-worth of people with disabilities. Leon and others were introduced for the first time to the shot put, the discus and the javelin, and their transformed faces tell the story. In 2011, a partnership was signed between the director of Haiti Hospital Appeal and the president of the Haitian Paralympic Committee to bring six Haitian Paralympic athletes to the Olympic Stadium in London. 
The hope is that this will be a stepping stone in providing greater support and opportunities for people with disabilities in northern Haiti. And can you explain a little bit about why disability advocacy and disability sport is important for Haiti? Well, I think in, in like Haiti, everybody should count. And it's not normal that because somebody has a disability that he has been put aside of the national life. So sport, I think, is one of the best platforms of, of promotion and of visibility. So to do advocacy, to bring up the rights of persons with disabilities. And specifically this Paralympic dream, why is that important for the country? So I think with the Paralympic, it's a good opportunity for persons with disabilities to prove themselves, to value themselves, and to get included, to be counted by the society, so to be appreciated by anybody in the society also so that give the possibility for the community to appreciate this potential and to know that they can count on this person as a productive person. In developing countries across the world, only 2% of people with disabilities receive an appropriate level of medical support and rehabilitation. Our prayers for others this morning are in the form of a responsive prayer which has come as much of the minister's material has come, if I may say so, from the BMS World Mission Organization. This is a responsive prayer. I'm going to make several petitions and the collective response is creator of all, hear our prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious God, creator of all, we pray for a world that recognizes that all people are created in your image, that all have immeasurable worth and warrant dignity and respect. Creator of all, hear our prayer. We pray for a world where inequalities are leveled so that children with disabilities will not die in infancy or be left uncared for and unloved. Creator of all, hear our prayer. We ask that fear and failure to understand will not govern actions, and that feelings of shame and blame will be transformed to promote opportunities and hope. Creator of all, hear our prayer. Gracious God, we, may we know how much richer our lives will be when we recognize you in one another. May our comfort and confusion not prevent us from being inspired to work towards the change we know is possible. We bring our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to end as we began by using some British Sign Language signs. And we're going to just say the grace. Uh, the sign for grace is a holy and a good. So swing that good. Fellowship is a nice one, thumbs up, and in a kind of a circle. So, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.